Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Thrilled to have on today Annie Abrams. Such an unbelievable conversation. I just wanted to give a little bit of context about who you're hearing from. So Annie is an award-winning business leader, coach, and author who has presented to over 50,000 people at seminars and has worked with clients you might have heard from like Starbucks, Amazon, Apple, Nike, etc. Annie has been in business for quite a while, has worked all over the country, and has been providing top-level leadership training advice to some of the most innovative leaders of our time. Uh, Frankly, I found the entire conversation one of the most enlightening that I've had, and I encourage you to listen to this with a pen and paper or however you take notes so that you can also gain from her insight. What we talk about is cutting edge, and if you haven't seen this yet, you will see it over the next 20 years uh, in terms of the trends that we're seeing and how her strategies and thoughts are being implemented in the workplace. So with no further ado, I give you Annie Abrams. Ladies and gentlemen, As always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message, that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life, I wanna help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career, And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, how do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, Jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. Annie Abrams, thank you so much for joining me. It's such an exciting experience to have you here. Uh, kind of pre, pre-interview, we were speaking about the, uh, the warmth that is Arizona where you live versus the cold, which is uh, Minneapolis, which is where I currently reside. So uh, it's great to have you here and thank you very much for making the time. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to always talk to you. Appreciate it. So one of the things that really stands out about you and what you've been able to accomplish in your life is how... I get this sense that you're always driving towards a more authentic version of yourself. And that manifests itself make in a way that you are not the conventional business strategist, business coach, leadership coach. You don't really fit in a box. So tell me a little bit about your personal uh, 
growth or, or, or um, evolution into where you are now and why you think it's important, I guess you could say, not to sort of follow a set script? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great question. Um, you know, you could say um, that I've sort of been on this lifelong quest um, to continuously grow. Um, and so, you know, like most people who are really looking to grow, I read a lot, I talk to a lot of um, people that I would love to emulate. Um, I, you know, listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm always, you know, sort of engaged. I've taken a lot of courses, you know, beyond traditional education. Um, and so I just find that uh, being open to seeing things in a whole new way um, has really opened so many um, doors in terms of how I perceive the world. You could say that this journey started um, when I was born, a very long story short. Um, we were living in Hawaii and my mother was um, teaching uh, in some of the local tribes. And when she was pregnant, um, she was put on bed rest the final three months uh, prior to giving birth. And um, so she had no contact with the tribe. The very day that she gave birth, the Hawaiian chief of the tribe actually came to the hospital with his entourage. Um, and of course, you know, it was a big thing. My father said, of course, let them in. Um, they came into the room and they said that they knew that she was going to give birth to a daughter and that uh, they had sacrificed to the shark gods the night before and uh, that they had given me this Hawaiian name and what they had learned in communion with the shark gods is that her daughter's purpose was to transform and change the world around her. So maybe I was predestined to be in pursuit of ongoing learning and development and be able to share that with all the people that I've had the opportunity to share it with. Well, wow. Okay, that's uh, that's definitely unconventional. Fantastic. D tell me a little bit about how your spiritual journey has interfaced with and contributed to the sort of leadership work that you do. Again, you're thinking about a boardroom, you know, people that are like looking to you, like, how do I lead my company? And then you bring all of these kind of Again, I keep using the word unconventional, but like what is conventional nowadays? You bring such a wide variety of tools. So tell me about like the sort of spiritual leadership that you do. Yeah, so I really think leadership is a calling. You know, it, it's such a thing in corporate America where people think that, you know, the right way um, is to, you know, continuously um, move to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. Yet so many people struggle. I mean, something like $57 billion a year is spent on learning and development, right? But being a leader is something that not everyone should be, right? Um, it's not the right thing for everyone, but for those who are called, it really does require um, uh, the kind of community of support um, and, and focused targeted learning and development specific to an individual's needs. And so when I'm working with, you know, organizations or individuals, you know, my really, uh, my first question is really, why do you want to be a leader? 
what has you say leadership is important to me. Um, what people will always tell you if you're really listening is that very thing that makes it something that makes their heart sing. And if you can identify what makes their heart sing and how they kind of came to that place, you can really empower them in their growth. And you know, one, one second. I'm sorry. Can I can I interrupt and 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 maybe just go a little bit deeper on that for a second? If you so you, are you saying that you you ask someone? So piece number one, just and please, I'm just going to reiterate what I think I'm hearing you say, and you can tell me if I if I was was completely off. Um, that a person will either feel it or not. Is so so to speak that if they if they have this drive that I want to get out there and and lead lead a team, you know, it's not like they're cracking up or losing their mind or that you necessarily have to, I just, I guess, work through the company for a thousand years and then, you know, there's like no one else to lead the team, but there's a, there's a part inside of us where we're thinking to ourselves, I want to be a leader. That's an intrinsic part that just some people have and other people don't. Is that, is that? I, I 100% believe that. Okay. Um, you know, I've worked with many thousands of people over the past 25 years. And it's always interesting to me, the difference between working with people who really have that calling and then those who don't, but, you know, by virtue of where they are in the organization or the type of company that they work with, you know, they've sort of become a de facto leader right? And those who become de facto leaders will struggle with it until they either decide, you know what, I just want to be a really amazing individual contributor. Or, you know what, I really do want to be a leader and I got to turn myself inside out to become the kind of leader who inspires the people they lead. So, for, I guess there's sort of like, it's good to know sort of the different profiles. So on one hand, if you are the person that just sort of thrust into a leadership position, you're like, I don't want to be here. Essentially, it's managing the the, the panic and just kind of going with it or actually making a, a conscious decision that I'm going to step into this role. That's profile number one. And then profile number two, and, and this is something that I'm I'm very curious, is that you know you hear a lot of people say, I want to be a coach, I want to be a leader, you know, all these things that like where they're raising their hand and they deeply feel like this is my purpose. But then usually the first two things that come up, at least in 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 what I see and what I've experienced in my own life, is A, what qualifies me to do this? And and B, am I sort of like cracking up or running away from my real responsibilities of like, you know, grinding it out at the at, at you know at the at the sawmill. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's a scary thing for many people to just sort of be thrust into leadership, right? Um, you know, think about crisis situations where suddenly a person who, you know, maybe they're just your average person in day-to-day -day life, now they have to be a leader, okay? It's a scary thing. Um, and yet, if they want to be a great leader, they really can become an extraordinary leader. You know, I think about some of the most amazing um, uh, rock stars of our time who became extraordinary leaders, even though it wasn't 
sort of part of their predestined path, right? They were thrust into that position. They embraced the fear and then they got whatever learning and development or coaching or support they needed to become an even more extraordinary leader that inspired others. Then there are people who like, you really wanna be a leader, but you may have, you know, those concerns that you just referenced, right? Like, well, what makes me qualified to do that? You know what? You're a leader too. You just need certain support and training and development or certifications maybe to become that kind of leader. That's really different from those people who, you know, they were with a company for 10 years and they've been promoted and promoted and yet they really hate managing people or they really don't want to be a leader. They just want people to go do their job. That's the difference between a manager and a leader. And they're not the same thing all the time. Fascinating. How how do you figure out, again, I'm hearing there's a lot of intuition that, what do we, you know, like how do you, I, I guess there's, there's kind of like two points. One is how do you figure out, am I a manager? Am I a leader? Am I an entrepreneur? Am I an entrepreneur? Like what are the questions that you ask yourself? And the second, the second question is maybe speak to people. I can totally tell from you and I get this feedback a lot. And it, 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 it bothers me that people might look at me and they say, oh, I've heard so many times, like you look like a coach. You look like you have the straw and jaw line, you have the muscles, you know, you have the short haircut, which again, I, you know, there's like, we have these images, like the same thing is like, you know, you have to be in tech. There's a, in the book, um, Zero to One, they always talk about when tech was, you know, booming and everyone, the, the investors could right away, right away tell which guy's a tech guy, which guy's an investment banker, because based on how they dress, but then everyone starts wearing, ironically, like black shirts and jeans, you know, so it's like, how do you, how do you really figure out, or how do you step into your own role, if you don't, quote unquote, have that look as a leader? So um, I think what you're, you know, really describing is something called executive presence. Um, and there's a certain gravitas that comes along with executive presence. Um, and uh, I will say, if you have the right executive presence, um, you will certainly um, garner um, more following, okay? Um, so when I do work inside of organizations, one of the things that very often uh, gets talked about in the programs that we do or in the coaching that we do, it's around executive presence. Having said that, there are a lot of people who have executive presence who don't want to be leaders, right? So you can be one or the other or both. A leader with great executive presence has the power to change the world. How do you, when you're working with these big organizations or small organizations or individuals, one of the things that I'm seeing, at least with my clients, and maybe you'll help me you know, strategize here, is that there's a certain level of impatience or frustration because I, I, I joke about this, but especially because the culture that we live in today is such that I would say wealthy white men who are fathers and husbands almost don't want to admit that they have problems or are frustrated because they've been able to create a certain level of or a great level of success in their business, but then the other stuff in their life isn't coming at the same process. The reason why this was triggered was you said they can change the world, but I think that most leaders with executive presence, which I love that, never heard that before, um, 
they get really impatient because like, I'm not actually changing the world. Like I just got my wife and kids here and I, and I, and I go to work, you know what I'm saying? So how do you, how do you deal with that? So, you know, I think that, um, it, 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 it's, there's a certain humbleness that comes with great leadership too. There are a lot of arrogant leaders out there. Um, the problem with arrogance is that it's off-putting. Um, and so uh, people tend not to want to follow those who, you know, are, are very filled with their own self-importance, okay? But, you know, changing the world requires a certain authenticity and a certain humbleness um, to be able to effectively connect and relate to uh, others around them. So, you know, very often you'll see brilliant executives and companies, right? Like they're amazing at the mechanics of things um, or they're really good at a certain functional area. Um, but if they are off-putting or arrogant or, you know, have overblown egos, um, they are very limited uh, in the kind of difference that they can make. If you think about some of the most inspiring leaders you've seen out there, what made them inspiring? They owned their own humanity. And part of that humanity is that they're not perfect. So, you know, maybe they have to lose 50 pounds or maybe they're bald and not, you know, you know, model like with their hair, you know, or maybe um, they have something uh, in their demeanor, um, like they're shy, right? Um, I think that one of the most inspiring, incredible leaders I ever had the opportunity to work with um, you know, I think about my time working with Starbucks and Howard Schultz, you know, Howard Schultz is someone who he was just a regular guy who created a vision that the world lined up behind. And yet he could be considered socially awkward, but he owned that part of him. And How did he, tell me, what is that? What does that mean? How did he own that? I mean, I guess what comes up for me is I remember reading both versions of the book, like as Starbucks was taking off and I forgot the second book, which was like, we got screwed up and I had to come back in and see what I could do. Yeah. Like, how does, how do you own that? Maybe you could use an example of him, but like, how does one own their, uh, I, I guess, humanity? Yeah. So, you know, I think that um, for some people, it's a longer journey. Um, it's really um, uh, something that you can engage in through reflection or with the support of a coach um, or even part of a, a community, a small group that you work with. But it's being able to accept and talk about those challenges that you have. Right. So, you know, for example, um, I am truly an introvert. Now, nobody would ever call me an introvert because to them, I seem really out there. Right. And I go facilitate all these, you know, sessions and I've trained over 50,000 people and I do keynote presentations. Right. 
but it's hard for me. It's really, really hard for me because, you know, mostly I just want to kind of go get my book and go read in a corner. And I definitely don't want to go to networking events where people want to come talk to me about things or I want to talk to people about things. It's awkward. It's difficult. It's hard. But I understand that in order for me to fulfill what I consider my purpose, I have to sort of embrace that, know that's true about myself, even talk about it with people, um, because perhaps if they can find themselves in whatever it is that I'm talking about, they can see that whatever it is that they have, that they struggle with, they can move forward in fulfilling their purpose or their vision too. Amazing, thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, on, on the flip side, I think one of the things that we become aware of as soon as we start dealing with other people and, and leading and coaching and whatever that looks like is that so much of our uh, constructs in our minds are limiting are limiting beliefs, you know? And so as leaders, we get to see, you know, okay, let's let's play with that. Someone just says something like, you know, oh, I'm, again, someone could say something like, I'm, I'm bad at math or I'm not a leader or I'm socially awkward. And you're like, great, maybe that's how you've been up until this point, but what would it look like if we changed that? Now, the interesting thing is when we try to embrace our humanity, you mentioned, again, I'm just using examples, not much you can do about being bald, but like 50 pounds overweight, how does a leader, how does someone both embrace the struggle, but not to let that fall into their identifying thing? Oh, you're the fat leadership coach. And again, if that's out of alignment with, I guess, where they want to be. Well, you know, I think, I think it's two things, right? Like, you know, one is, you know, you could be having a conversation with that person um, about uh, what they could do to lose those 50 pounds, right? Like, you know, that's a pretty logical conversation to have if you're working with that person or that person could say to themselves, you know what, uh, I am obsessed with this idea that I'm 50 pounds overweight and it's getting in my way. So I'm going to do something about that. And then they go lose 50 pounds. If, it, if that was as simple as it was, we would see uh, no obesity epidemic in America. That $57 right? billion dollars would go down a lot in terms of what people spent on self-development. Exactly. Like, it's not that simple. You know, it's really important to understand that we often have to rewire the way we think about ourselves. And that comes through reflection, that comes through talking through it with people. Um, that's a learning journey in and of itself. So if you think about every single thing you've ever taken on for yourself, right? Whether it was building muscle or losing weight or um, you know, becoming a rabbi, it took some um, uh, thought, it took some study. Some, some or a lot of a lot of horrible discomfort. <laughs> that too, but that's a growth um, aspect of that learning journey. You know, nothing comes easy that's worthwhile that I could see. Um, and so I think about you know all the coaches I've had or all the leadership journeys I've had. I mean, I could tell you a story about one of the most incredible incredible mentors I ever had in my life. And man, some of those conversations were brutal. Okay. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, sure. So this guy, his name is Mark Kamen. 
is one of the most brilliant people I have ever known in my life. I was terrified of him. I was terrified because he was like larger than life, right? And he was just kind of like this big mouth, you know, Texan with a drawl and he was edgy and, but he was spot on with everything he said. So anyway, he became my mentor and he would say things to me that was almost like getting hit with the bat because I had to stop and really consider what he was saying. Um, and so, you know, I um, remember these, you know, this was 20 years ago, right? And I remember him having conversations with me. I would have an excuse for why I didn't do something. And it was a really good excuse, right? And he would just sort of say something that hit me right between the eyes. And I really learned from him that you can have your excuses and no result, or you can have circumstances, not look for excuses and achieve that goal you were out to achieve. And he taught me so many things as difficult as some of those conversations were about how to become more effective in the way I presented, more effective in the way I communicated, more effective in the way that I thought about myself, more effective in the way I saw the world. And you know what? If it took difficult conversations to get through this hard head, it was worthwhile. You mentioned that you have this, that he was a, he was a mentor to you. One of the things that I see a lot of people struggle with is maybe and and maybe just philosophically talk talk through how do you see a mentor versus a coach versus yeah. a boss right so it's like you know you could have a great coach and the coach never has to have necessarily achieved what you might be hiring them to do but then on the flip side like if you have a mentor you want to make sure that they have achieved what they're helping you to do so that you can actually make sure like oh that's the direction we're going in how do you differentiate that and how do you help people find that yeah that's a really great question so you know, a manager is someone who manages your job performance, okay? So, you know, if you have a certain quota or you have a certain product uh, plan, you know, their job is to manage the mechanic of how to fulfill those outcomes, okay? Um, and they interact with you about the activity related to what needs to happen in order to fulfill that outcome. A mentor is someone who can um, help you learn what there is to learn on your way to becoming the kind of leader or, or um, a person um, that you want to become. And they teach you this through their own personal experience. So they can share with you what their journey has been like, what they've learned during their journey. Um, their job is not to manage you. Um, in a mentor-mentee relationship, a mentee drives the relationship with the mentor. So it's your job as a mentee to go to your mentor and say, hey, I have this particular challenge. Can you help me think it through? What did you do that work? Can you share that with me? Okay, so uh, you are relying on a mentor's um, experience and their own journey 
um, that gets shared with you so that you can get some insight so you can continue to grow. So even um, it sounds like there, and I was thinking about to myself, like most of my mentors are not in any of the fields that I actually do. They're in other areas of business, but for me, it doesn't, I guess where I'm mentoring them is I'm like, you have the, I'm sorry, where they are mentoring me is you have the mindset that created this tremendous abundance in this industry that I'm not acting in, but I just want to follow that. So it's, so what you're saying is like, you don't need to find someone, you know, I'm a coach, so I have to find the best coach, you know, I, I you know, call, call Rob Proctor or whoever it might be. It's like, no, you, you can find someone that did something different and still have that mentorship. And, and that's important to know, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I look for mentors. I mean, they're not in my uh, chosen field, right? But there's a way they are about business or there's a way they are about something unique that I want for myself. And so I seek them out so that they can share with me um, what it is that I can use to be more like that or learn more about that. Um, you know, and a coach, a coach's job is Wait, really- I'm a sorry, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off again. I, I should have, I should have- No worries. Um, so what, what just jumped out with what you said is that you find a mentor when there's something unique that you want in yourself. Yes. What's shocking or, I don't know, I've heard this so many times in so many different ways. And, and why this happens might be an interesting conversation for another time, but we so often think that we need to take the full mentor. So it's like, I look at my business mentor as Steve Jobs and then everyone, you know, then I'll bring that up. And I was like, well, he was a jerk. And I'm like, well, I'm not looking at his personal life mentorship. I have another guy that does that. It happens yes. to be they're broke and like, you know, but they have the happiest family and how that guy shows up for his family is, you know, and so it's like, so the idea is ultimately you take responsibility for your life, but in each of the areas that matter, again, Arnold Schwarzenegger is my, is my body, is my bodybuilding mentor, so to speak. Right. Or so, so it's like, you have to pick the parts of your life that you want to develop and then also be able to filter that. I get it. Arnold was working out six to seven hours a day, frankly, that's not what we're doing right now. But like that, you know, does, does that sort of sort of make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. I How mean, you, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, for example, this guy, Mark, that I was just sharing about, I mean, he was a mentor for a specific skill set that I wanted to develop. Okay. How he did things in his, you know, personal life with his wife and children, I didn't talk to him about that. Okay. Um, cause that wasn't what he was mentoring me in. You know, I have another mentor, um, who, you know, he's been a mentor for 30 years. He teaches me things about financial, um, safety and security and investing and, you know, what to do to pay myself, you know, instead of, you know, paying credit card bills, um, but I don't talk to him about some of these other domains of his life. Right. So, you know, for, for health and wellness, I have a different mentor. So mentors are not perfect people packages that mentor you in every area because you see there's no perfect person. Right. Totally. Okay. Keep going. Now it's a coach. 
A coach is someone whose job is to ask questions. So a coach doesn't tell you what to do. A coach helps you figure out what you are going to do. And they do that through engaging in a series of inquiries with you. They ask powerful questions that make you think and, and sort of figure out what makes the most sense for you. So here's a manager. The manager's job is to tell you what to do. The mentor's job is to share their um, experience and their journey. And a coach's job is to ask questions. Beautiful. And sometimes you need all three right? For the one thing you might be working on. Um, sometimes your manager can also be a coach. Sometimes your coach could ultimately become a mentor when you're done with your coaching relationship. But very rarely do you find all three in one person. It was so gorgeously ex explained for on, on so many different levels. But one of the things that I, that I'm always trading my coaches on is it's like, shut up. Don't talk. You know, Cause I, I always see that there's this beautiful convergence between like spiritual practice and coaching. But the, I think the, the, the we always sort of look at our spirit, our rabbis and whatever priests and stuff like that. They're there giving a lesson. And I always tell them like, shut up and just ask them questions. Like, don't think that you have to prepare something to come and speak because that's not what coaching is. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to be quoting you uh, often on that one. So thank you very much. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, what you're talking about, Jacob, is, is really um, the difference between consulting and coaching. Talk to me more. So coaching is what we, we just described, right? It's powerful questions. It's engaging in an inquiry. You should be spending, let's say you have an hour long coaching call. Um, 80 to 90% of that should be the coach not talking. Okay. A consultant's job is to provide guidance and expertise and, and sort of how do you get from point A to point B. Um, so they will tell you what to do from their perspective about whatever it is you are looking to create or solve. So one of the things that I think is really important, you know, when I coach people or when I'm working in organizations, I have to be really clear what hat I'm wearing because am I the coach or am I the consultant? 100%, I love that. And then I guess as we're sort of like flushing out um, other other roles in a person's life. What what else do we we need? We have coaches, we have consultants, we have we have mentors, we have managers. Um, what else? What else should a person look for or need to to develop? Um, you know, I I think that look to the degree that people really want to make a difference, um, whether it's with one other person or or in a company that they work or in a you know, nonprofit organization that they're a part of, or, you know, with a congregation, for example, that you are, you know, the rabbi or the minister for. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand what's truly in their heart. Um, and so I spend a lot of time every day. Um, I spend minutes every morning. I have a journal. I write down, you know, the things that I'm grateful for that day. I reflect on the day prior. Um, and I, 
you know, sort of assess, I did well at this, I didn't do well at that. So what am I going to use today for? And I think about what I'm going to accomplish for the day. And look, you know, we all have crappy days, but I think that there's a lot that you can learn from those crappy days. Like, was that in alignment with your core values? Was whatever happened who you want to be in the world? Because look, you know, this year alone, you know, think about all of the things that are going on between, you know, a pandemic and, you know, the economy and, you know, a, a political, you know, um, uh, election debate that I've never seen before. And, Racial you strife. Know, all yeah, uh, you know, um, all of the, the, the dialogue around racism, um, you know, this has been a, a very extreme year for most people. And um, in order to deal with kind of the extreme now, we have to be resilient in a certain way that we've never had to be before. So if you can really look at what's in your heart um, to see who you are in the world and whether your values, your personal values and your purpose resonate with who you are being. Um, that's just so crucial because yesterday might've been a bad day, but today doesn't have to be that bad day. Amazing, thank you. I wanted to ask you, I think in an area where both of our lives somewhat triangulate and an area of tremendous strife for me personally, uh, when you know someone will get on the phone with me and they'll say, "Oh, you're the cool rabbi." I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm I'm coach. I'm the coach. I'm not a you know." And and do I drop? Do I drop that title? Do I keep the title? So there's this whole idea, I think, in a lot of ways of where and how spirituality. Because again, I want to offer value, but if a person has all this preconceived notions of this is what a rabbi is, this is what a minister is, and because people carry all of that baggage so much. How do you how do you see leadership, business strategy, and spirituality kind of coming together? Oh, that I love that. Um, so you know, this is not something that is often talked about, you know, in corporate America. Um, but I um I am a really, really spiritual person. You know, I grew up in a conservative Jewish home with, you know, lots of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and temple on the high holy days and you know, Sabbath and you know, kind of um um, that's how I grew up. And, you know, both of my parents were Orthodox Jews who um, became conservative to sort of, you know, I guess, fit more um, cohesively with the times. Um, and, you know, in, in my journey, um, I was really curious about other ways of worship. Like, how do you get in touch with that higher power? What is that higher power? Um, and so I ended up going to a Catholic university. I went to Boston College. So what's a nice Jewish girl doing at Boston College with 14 people in the local Hillel, right? It was a spiritual journey in many ways for me because while I wanted to, you know, enter the wonderful world of corporate America and become like, you know, this great, um, I don't know, leader or trainer or all the things that I, you know, really wanted to be, there was um, this piece of, of spirituality that I felt um, I needed to sort of um, discover for myself um, to sort of guide me through that path. Um, because I do think, as I said before, that leadership 
is a calling. Um, and so you have to ask, what are you being called by? And so when I was at Boston College, you're required to take two years of theology. And so I did, and I learned all about multiple different religions and went to different services. It was really part of my quest. And then I started looking at things, you know, sort of beyond institutional religion and, um, uh, you know, found my way to Sedona, which, you know, some people may think I'm crazy, but I think there's a certain energy there that helps you feel more grounded and, you know, in touch with your higher power. So um, I think that leadership includes spirituality, however you relate to your higher power. Um, because I think it's important for all of us to believe in something. And so um, I think that that's really important. Why? Why? Well, you know, leadership for the sake of leadership is is sort of dry, right? It's sort of like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go be a leader. Well, why do you want to be a leader? It's our why that motivates us. It's our why that pulls us forth into, you know, your learning journey or your leadership journey. Without a why for anything in life, like why lose 50 pounds or why become like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Why become a leader? Okay, if you have no why, it's just kind of a day like any other day. So I feel like um, for myself and for a lot of the people that I've wanted to emulate throughout my career, um, even though they may not have specifically said, this is my religion or this is what I believe with regard to my spirituality. When I got to know them and I started asking questions, they all had one thing in common. And that is there was some higher power that they were profoundly connected to that helped them be motivated in their quest for ever greater leadership and the ability to inspire others. So, okay, I want to, I'm, I'm just noting that down. Um, I, I wanted, you said profoundly connected to their higher power. And so I think what's so fascinating is that if you look at so many of the business training programs, right, they all talk about systems and there's this great system and you have EOS and you have all these great things. And we don't, it's almost like, you know, it's inappropriate to talk about again, religion, I don't, I don't know how you encapsulate that word spirituality. What is, you know, awakeness, whatever you want to call it. But what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that that's sort of the not talked about superpower that yes. motivates and is kind of the engine for everything. Yes. And that's I believe scary. that. What's I that? mean, I'm sure there's people that would want to debate that with me, but I will tell you what, in, in all the years that I've been, you know, working in the leadership development field, um, I find that it is true um, for those who are incredible leaders. I mean, I don't know Steve Jobs, but maybe if I was in front of Steve Jobs and I asked him what compelled him, what had him become Steve Jobs, he would tell you about something outside of Steve Jobs that was bigger than him that led him to become the innovator he was that changed the world with Apple. 
I, I, so it's so fun. I had a I had a great conversation with um, a, a client of mine that's in a different group of, of of high performing individuals. Let's call them, and they were struggling with this idea of like, what is our our five year like personal situation look like? And again, everyone's everyone's you know like married, kids business is great, but like, what does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to have this higher power? And again, you have these people that are, and this is for me, like kind of an ongoing recognition of, I'd be sitting with these very high level business guys. And I'd suggest this basic Jewish thing that like my kids know, and they're like, oh my God, like now that I see like the idea, again, the infinite God creating us in his image, this idea that there is an, an, an abundance everywhere and an infinite potential for growth. If you say it like that, everyone's like, oh my God, Hebrew school doesn't suck anymore. But it's so, it's so difficult because for so many people, I guess that's that idea of taking, of having compassion, just like we have to do with our parents. It's like having compassion. They did the best for what they could. But at the end of the day, like I have to chart my own journey. It's that same thing if like having compassion on the past. And again, obviously there's any kind of uh, clergy abuse or anything like that. We're not necessarily- Right, right. You know, but in general, the fact that religion sucked growing up is kind of an, un, is a, what you're saying is kind of the unspoken about superpower that actually motivates profound leadership. And so people really have to look into that. What do I think about the purpose of the world, my higher, you know, the higher power, how do I relate to it? How do I think God thinks about me? Whatever it might be. That, that, is that, is that, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, it is because, <coughs> excuse me. I think that, you know, whether you call it Allah or God or, um, um, you know, um, the angels or, you know, whatever it is that calls you forth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it is ultimately about um, purpose. Um, and it is about those values that align with your purpose, right? And so while there's some of the mechanics, you know, like, look, I hated going to Hebrew school. I mean, I did, you know, I fidgeted through temple. I, you know, like all that stuff that everybody else does. But there was something about what happened in that community of people. There was something that touched my heart and my soul that wasn't in the Bible, you know, or the, the Testament, right? Um, that wasn't in um, the service dialogue necessarily. It was about the power of people believing in something greater than them. And, that I think is is the the art, right? Like identifying what is that thing that calls you, right? And how do I honor that thing that calls me? And that's the stuff that doesn't get talked about so much in corporate America because you know people are like, I don't know how to talk about that, right? But you can talk about that in very constructive ways. You don't have to say things like well, what's your religion? Or do you go to church every Sunday? Or um, you can say, what's your purpose? What's, what do you believe in? What, what is it that calls you to be a better leader? People will always tell you. Yes, I love that. I think also just for me, what popped up because I so identify with your, with your 
um, your, your upbringing experience of, I remember I got kicked out so many times. I literally had my college professor tell me that if I would just shut up, he would let me pass Hebrew when I got failed it through three times. I, I left. Um, but, uh, and again, as a young kid, it's like, it was, it was so painful and I hated it so much. But I, I think that it's that, it's that awareness that, again, if you watch Michael Jordan or I'm a, MMA fan, if you watch someone fight, but then you go into a gym and you're like, I want to learn that. They're like very bored. They're, 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 the, the rudimentary things have a tendency to like choke all of the, the art out that you see that's so exciting. So it's like, I guess it's that maturity to realize that you might've been just drilling three, th three fr free throws as a seven-year-old, but you never really like ex had that experience of like watching a LeBron James or getting that experience of a basketball game. And maybe the fact that you're like, yep, basketball is just crappy. Three th free throws. I'm having trouble with that, right? Is to is to be able to to appreciate that that was then, but I have to kind of reconsider it now. Yeah, it, and it and it's so always so interesting to me when you you know when you're working with people and you ask them, you know, what's their what's your purpose? You know, why this next you know leadership position? Why what is it do you you love about being a leader? It's never the mechanics. It's never, you know, well, I do these five things every day. That's never it. What people will tell you about is, is what, what is, is their passion, right? They will talk about, I love watching people understand um, how to do something and then become really successful at it. I love watching, you know, someone be a C player and suddenly they're now a rock star. Like that's not about the things you do to be a manager or a leader. That's about the passion you get, the enjoyment you get, the fulfillment you get out of what's being created that has pulled these people into a different universe for themselves. I, you know, unfortunately, I have to X off the next like 25 questions uh, to be cognizant of your time. I feel like we could go forever. This is, this is so tremendously uh, enjoyable for me personally. And there's so much that you have to share I, that I really appreciate. The, I guess really the final question, if you could, is just to tell our listeners how they can find more about you and about the projects that you're working on currently, your company, everything that you're doing. Sure. Um, so my company is uh, accessible via our website. You can go to www dot 1107.com so that's www.1107.com I'm sorry it's mba.com www.1107.mba um, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, at Annie Abrams uh, I'm also on Facebook um, so you can reach out to me I'm happy to talk to you about uh, your uh, desires your dreams um, and, and any questions you might have about some really creative, innovative work you can do in your organizations. Outstanding. Annie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. 
Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.